We're in 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. And last time we had read about how David had his first battle as an independent leader. And they went and they saved the city of Keilah. That was, was actually, there were raids on the threshing floor, on the, the places where there were going to be, where, where they were uh, gathering up food and, and uh, threshing. And so what happened was David then delivers Keilah from this attack. Now let's start reading from 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 6. Now it came about when Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. When it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, God has delivered him into our hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him, so he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul. And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought for him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So here Keilah was under attack. They were stealing the, the harvest from Keilah. The folks in Keilah, which is in the land of Judah, cry out to David, not to King Saul. They cry out to David, come and help us. So David and his men go in obedience to God. David had asked God what he wanted him to do. And he goes and he delivers Keilah. But he's not delivering the city. So the city was a very secure city. Remember it says that there was a, a raiding force of Philistines that were stealing the food from the threshing floor. So that just as they were bringing in the harvest, they came to steal the food. So David delivered them from the Philistines and slew the Philistines and even got the animals of the Philistines, it said back up in verse 5. But then what happened was, it says that, that uh, Saul learns that David had delivered Keilah and David, after he had delivered Keilah, went into the city. Of Keilah. So this, is, it says, is a city with double, double gates and bars, and so a very secure city. So David is now within this city, and Saul hears about it, and Saul says, let's go and attack Keilah, because David is in there. So he knows that in the wilderness, very hard to get at David, because he's an expert at warfare in the wilderness in particular, because he had grown up as a shepherd, and so he knows the Judean wilderness very well. This was his territory. But now once he's boxed up in a city, Saul could always mount a siege against that city, even if it takes years to, to, uh, uh, to ford into that city. Then, then he could get in. So when he hears David is there, look what happens. It says that, it first tells us in verse 6, that 
that when Abiathar had come to David at Keilah, he brought the ephod. Now, the ephod was the way that the priests discerned the will of God. It is something that we do not have today. It is described in the Law of Moses. There's a brief description of it. It was a, it was a pattern of lights in a breastplate that the priest would wear. And the lights, when a question was asked of God, the lights would light up in a pattern to give either a yes or a no answer. And so based on this, as described in the Law of Moses, they could discern the will of God. How did they know? So David had not used this previously. He had just started to use it here in chapter 23. And the reason he had just started to use it is he didn't have access to the priesthood in this way. The king had access to the priesthood. But remember, Saul had wiped out all the priests. Only one of them escaped. These were the descendants of Eli. And so this was the judgment that actually had been prescribed that was going to take place to Eli's offspring. So Abiathar runs away and he takes the breastplate with him. And so now we know why up in the beginning of chapter 23, how David could so clearly hear the will of God without a prophet coming. Back in chapter 22, a prophet Gad had come to him. So without needing a prophet to come to him, he now has the ability to hear very clearly God's voice. And so in verse 7 of chapter 23, when it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. Okay, so Saul makes an assumption. Saul hears that David has gone into the city and he makes an assumption. His assumption is, God has delivered him into my hands. So, an event takes place that causes King Saul to make an assumption about what God's will is. This is not at all unusual. We hear of something, we learn of something, and we can easily assume that God is speaking to us in this event in a specific direction. This happens all the time. It happens to me all the time. You know, something will happen and I'll think, well, possibly God is saying this or God is saying that. That there's something that God is saying. But it's a totally false assumption. God is not delivering David into his hands. God did not send David into that city to have him destroyed. But you see how easy it is to hear something and to think that, oh, all of a sudden, now I know what the will of God is. It's a very easy thing to do. Very easy thing to have happen. That we, we hear something and all of a sudden we make a judgment that this is the will of God. So what I really want to look at in this chapter is how do we hear the voice of God. And now let's look at how David, and we don't have access to this, this breastplate. There was something called it, in it called the, the Urim and the Thummim. You would read about this several times in the Old Testament. Through these series of lights flashing, you will get a yes or, and a no answer. This is what would happen when they would ask the priests. In verse 8, So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. So Saul sends out a report to everyone, to all of Israel, to go down to this particular city in Judah. He is gathering up all of Israel to, to plant a siege work against the city to kill David. So this is a massive, you know, you, know, you don't just get on the walkie-talkie and, and you have to send out messengers. So it's a massive operation. Remember, there are, there, there's 
children of Israel living on the east of the Jordan, Gad, Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh are over there. You have way up in the north, Dan, for example, all of them, you're, you're calling them on down. So he begins to send out messengers to call down all the men of Israel to go against David, whose band now is only 600 men. Verse 9, now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So David knew this. This is not something that God told him. Probably there were messengers that told him. When messengers were going out through all of Israel, certainly word is going to filter back saying, there's a siege coming against the city. So David says, now David knew in verse 9 that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. So you see, he's not asking God, is Saul coming? He has heard for certain. So he says, O Lord God, I know for certain that Saul is coming. I know this for certain. And now in verse 11, he asks the questions. In verse 11, Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. So what did David do? David is not used to using this ephod. The ephod is very specific. You ask a question and a series of lights give you a yes or no answer. You can't ask multiple questions. David asked two questions. He says in verse 11, Will the men of Keilah Surrender me into his hand. That is question number one. Question number two. Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? Two questions he puts before the Urim and the Thummim. O Lord God, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. He only answers the second question. It's going to answer the last question you ask. David is just learning how to hear God from this. So, God answers that, indeed, he, he will come down, because that was the second question. Will Saul come down? So, David has to go back and re-ask the first question. He says, then David said, then David said will the men of Keilah surrender me, me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. So you see, there was a certain way, a prescribed pattern in the law of Moses on how to use the Urim and the Thummim. David was just learning how to do this. So at first he did it a little wrongly. He asked two questions before he waited for the answer from the first one. So God just answered the second question, so he had to go back and re-ask the first question. So the answer is, yes, Saul is coming down, and yes, the men of Keilah will deliver him into your hands. Now you say, well, why would they do that? He just delivered the food for this city. Well, maybe Keilah had heard about what Saul had done to the priests. He had all the priests, the 80 priests killed, and then he went to the city of Nob, and he had all the men, the, uh, all the remaining men, the women, the children, and all the animals killed. Saul was absolutely ruthless. If he did this to the priests, it wouldn't bother him to do it to the whole, whole city of Keilah as well, if they felt he, he was, they were helping David. And so, if a siege starts against a city, the city soon runs out of food. 
you poison the water, you, you, you find every waterway going in, you poison it. In fact, when I was visiting in Israel, I said, you know, how would they poison the water system? He says it was very easy. They would just kill, they'd kill a donkey and they'd throw it in the water source that's feeding into the city. And so, is this, so, so it would pollute the water. And, uh, um, you know, as it just rots in the sun sitting out in the water like that. And so you, you see what would happen. And it says, the men of Kila will surrender you. So, if you're starving, and, and your children are starving, and all you know is that you have to give this one man to the person who's mounting the siege against the city, and he'll stop the siege, God said, yes, they'll turn you over, even though they were Judeans, even though David had delivered them. As soon as David heard that, he left the city. He thought he could be secure in this city, because it was a very strong city, but if he was going to be delivered, he was getting right back out into the wilderness. So he runs into the wilderness, and uh, uh, in verse 13, so he goes into the wilderness, and Saul gives up pursuit, because he knows in the wilderness it's different. And he stayed in the wilderness, and there were different times when Saul would come. So what I want to touch on is, is how do we hear God's voice? How do we hear God's voice today? We don't have a, an Urim and a Thummim. Uh, uh, we have people who have gifts of prophecy, that is clear in Scripture, but uh, uh, they function a little bit differently than they did in the Scriptures, and we don't have prophets all around us all the time. There's some that feel that they have the gift of prophecy, and it's sometimes they may be right, and sometimes they may miss it. But, you know, I want to I look at some of the ways that, 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 that God may speak. God can speak to us. There is no doubt that God can speak to us. We're going along and God begins to speak to our hearts. He can do that. But what we have to remember is that we're all subject to error. We can feel as if we hear God. Saul felt as if this was a sign. David has gone into the city of Keilah. Therefore, God has delivered him into my hands. It is very easy to see an event and to make a judgment about what God must be saying about that event. And that may not be the case at all. You could see an event, but it could be a very different explanation for that. And, and uh, um, you know, God speaks to people in different ways. You know, one day I was, I was uh, we went to a, a, uh, an event, Shreen and I went to see David Wilkerson speak. Anybody ever heard of David Wilkerson? All right, David Wilkerson wrote a book in the 1970s, late 60s, early 70s, called The Cross and the Switchblade. David Wilkerson was a, was a pastor and he went into the gangs of New York City and he started to preach the gospel to them. And hundreds of people got saved and the gangs broke up and the gangs went... Because of the, the ministry of this guy, the guy was truly amazing. He had tremendous gifts. And so we went to see him in this one uh, uh, Assemblies of God Pentecostal Church in Indiana. We were newly married. We had only been married for a month or two. And uh, uh, so I was in my second year of graduate school, and we went to see this, and we went very early, but still we were sitting way in the back, and and uh, uh, because the church was so filled up, and this guy, you know, was going, and it was very foreign to me the way he was operating. He would get quote unquote words from the Lord and start speaking, and you know I didn't really feel comfortable with this. And then he gave an altar call for people to come up for prayer. Well, what happens? 
my brand new bride walks right out, right past me, she's just with the crowd going up to this. So she was really touched by this. And here I was totally untouched. But she was really touched. She felt God was speaking through this man to her. And loved the ministry that night and we're going home and, and she, God really moved in her heart. But I wasn't impressed at all. So the next day, she wants to go back again. So I have to take my young bride again the next night. And there she was going to make sure we weren't sitting in the back. So we went like two hours early to this service. So, you know, I'm a good husband. I do this for my bride. And so we go to this, this service and we sit right up in the front row, right, right up just, just to the, where the speaker's right would be, just right in front of the podium there. We sit right there on the front row. That's where Shireen wanted to be. I didn't particularly want to be there, but I was okay with it. So anyway, the guy starts talking again and starts getting these quote-unquote words from the Lord. And in my heart, I'm judging him. In my heart, I'm thinking, you know, this guy, he just needs a little better grounding or something. I mean, you know, if, if you say somebody here has a hurt left kneecap, you know, you've got several thousand people there. Somebody's left kneecap is going to be hurting, right? And so, in my, I'm not saying a word, just in my heart. You know, because I, I had learned long before that, that, that if I feel something about somebody, it's better just don't express it. You know, I can just leave this in my own heart. So anyway, this guy is preaching and then he stops. And he looks right down at me. He says, you know what the problem is in the church today? And he's looking right at me. He says, the problem in the church today is that young guys in their mid-twenties who are Christians, at least I think they're Christians because they carry their Bibles, and I have my Bible right here, that think that the way they do it is God's way, and the way that other people do it is not God's way. That is a problem in the church today. Now, everybody else was just thinking the generalities of the worldwide church today, but I knew exactly who he was looking at, and what he was speaking to, and what was going on, and I wanted to crawl under that chair. I just wanted to get away from his eyes, because the guy had eyes like fire. You could see how he could go into New York City and preach, and he would always wear a suit and tie. He would go preaching like this, and these men would give their lives to the Lord. Amazing, powerful ministry. The book was probably the biggest selling Christian book in the 1970s. It was The Cross and the Switchblade. Famous book. And so... God really spoke to my heart, don't judge the way other people hear from God. I mean, some people hear from God in different ways. I mean, this guy clearly was hearing from God and he knew exactly what I was thinking. So, you know, different people hear in different ways. We are all subject, though, to error. All of us are. You know, we think, you know, I think I hear, he thinks he hears. We all have to remember and... So, one of the ways, I will tell you the way I hear God speak. Now, I've heard different people hear, you know, in the way that that, that, uh, um, David Wilkerson hears. I have heard very few people that have had words that specific and that right on. I've heard a lot of errors that 
you know, you know, push me in the other direction. So, for example, my wife, we were, we were going to, my wife was pregnant with our first child, and one, one person with a quote-unquote gift of prophecy comes up to her and says, you are going to have a son. Now, why do we even need that prophecy? We have diagnostic tests that could tell us immediately. But my wife and I didn't want to know. We just wanted it to be a surprise when the baby was born. And he said, you are going to have a son. Well, my first child was very much a daughter, not a son. But I had latched on to this word from this quote-unquote prophet. So this prophet had to be careful what they're saying. Why would God send them to tell me this? And plus, it's a 50-50 chance. So, so, so you've you got a 0.5 probability that you're going to be right anyway. And then after this happened, our child, the, the prophet said, I think this is for, obviously then, your next child. Well, our next child was a daughter. And then after that child, he didn't come to us anymore. But you see what happens is, if you come with a word that there's no use in particularly coming, and you give this to a person, what does it do? It makes them less receptive to what God may say at some point in their lives. You see what I mean? Keep this to yourself. Unless God specifically told you, this is something they really need to know. Forget about the diagnostic test. This is something, you know, I need you to tell them. Unless, keep it. Keep it with you. If God has spoken a particular word, it doesn't mean you've got to blab it out all over the place. So this can happen. I have had many people speak into my life, my life, and I'm grateful for it. But if you say, is this prophecy? Maybe it is, but sometimes it's so general, it could mean anything. God is going to use you. God is going to bless you. This is all true. I can say that over all of you. And it is true. God is going to use you. God is going to bless you. God has a purpose for you. So when we have quote-unquote words for people, we want to be careful about how we use that. Because is it, is it always you know, the, the best thing for them to know? You know is this what God has, has forced? In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23, is an interesting verse here. Proverbs 12, verse 23, addresses this a little bit. It addresses this sort of thing. In Proverbs 12, verse 23, says, it says, a prudent man conceals knowledge. A prudent man conceals knowledge. So just because every time I have a thought or a word, doesn't mean I have to blab it out. A prudent man conceals knowledge. But I share this within the context of first sharing with you the David Wilkerson story in my life. Because I don't want to belittle in any way God speaking through people, dropping a word in their hearts. There's also a way that we can share this. It's a much better way sometimes. So rather than saying, the Lord says such and such. Looking at the Lord says. Because when you say that to a person, there's no more any discussion. So if a person tells me, well, the Lord told me to do this. What am I to say? You know, the Lord told me to do this. How can I say anything? How can I give you any counsel? How can I give you any, any, any of my thoughts on this? Unless it's a direct disobedience to the Word of God. So, like, the Lord told me to get a divorce. That I can say, the Lord probably didn't tell you to do that. You know, I can look at Scriptures. 
But um, I'll give you an example. There was a guy and his wife. So there was this, this couple, and they were in, in the applied math department at Rice. And I wanted him, and, and uh, uh, they'd gotten kind of frustrated about graduate school. Very smart couple, and she had just finished his ma- her master's. He was going to finish his master's, and they were going to go work for Microsoft. And I had a project to program a molecular computer. It was called a synthetic brain. It's really an amazing project, but I needed some applied mathematicians. And these people were very good. They were in the church. They loved the Lord. And I went to their home, and I begged them. This was actually in, their, in, their, in her father's home. She, he, he lived in town as well. And I went there, and I, I begged them. I said, come and work for me. I said, you guys are too smart to go into industry. You guys are really smart. And he said to me, he says, well, God told me that I should finish this class and then get my master's degree and go get a job at Microsoft. Okay? I said, you know, I have sought God for many years to try to hear his voice. I have never heard anything that clearly. Just giving him, you know, but it was very hard to counsel him at that point. Because God told him to do that. I just said to him, it was, I have never heard God that clearly for my own life in a particular area. And that caused him just to stop and to think. And he, he and his wife ended up working for me and getting their PhDs and doing a great job in programming this synthetic brain. Really tremendous work. But you see, what happens is, rather than to say... God told me to do this, God told me to do that, or God says to you to do this, to do that. Wouldn't it be better to say, I had a thought that maybe I should finish this class and get a job. You see what I mean? Then you, you leave yourself open to counsel. Or if, if I want to speak into your life, rather than to say, God says you should, you should not go work for Exxon, but you should go work for, for, for uh, ConocoPhillips. You know, if I feel that, so, so maybe you've told me about this is what Exxon is offering, this is the environment, this is what ConocoPhillips is offering, this is the environment. If I feel that, that, that the, uh, the ConocoPhillips job sounds to me like a much better offer based on what you like to do, based on the environment, based on where your fiancé lives or something, I would say it seems to me that the ConocoPhillips job would be a better choice. Rather that I don't say, God says, go to ConocoPhillips. You see what I mean? Do you see the difference there? We want to be careful how we take the name of God and start being His messenger. Because what happens is, we might be wrong. Because there are times we were wrong. God, uh, Saul said, God has put David in there to deliver him into my hands. Alright, well then God changed His mind because God didn't deliver him. But the Bible says God doesn't change his mind. He's not a man that he should change his mind. The only thing that God does change is it says he relents when he's going to come with judgment. Then sometimes he relents and, and withdraws the judgment when people repent. But he doesn't change his mind like we do. You know, God says this today and that tomorrow. You know, God doesn't do that. So how do we hear God? I can only speak on how I hear God. There are different people get hear God in different ways. But for me, what I can really hold on to is the Scriptures. When God speaks to me through the Scriptures, I can really hold on to it. And, and you know, if God, if God were to do this, so, so 
God told me to do this, and the next day God told me to do that, and God told me to do this. And, God, and I hear people like that. Look, I've got a lot of Christian friends that, you know, how are you open to counsel now? Do you even need the Bible if God speaks that clearly to you that every day He tells you where you should go, you should turn left, you should turn right, you should do this? Why do you even need the Bible? Why did Paul even have to write to the churches and give them all this instruction? If an individual can just hear God for every moment of their lives. Do you see what I mean? We don't need the instruction then. The Bible clearly says, in the abundance of counselors, there is much wisdom. Well, why do I even need a counselor if I can hear God for every little thing in my life? You see what I'm saying? If we take it to the extreme, it makes no sense that we just flippantly at every turn hear God. So God gives us a general portion in the Scriptures and then we listen. But this doesn't just come in a flippant little way. Sometimes He drops in the Word, no doubt. And that's why I started this with the David Wilkerson thing. David Wilkerson, because some people have this really special anointing. God speaks to me, and all I can do is share from my own experience, primarily through the Scriptures. I will take the Word of God. I'll give you an example. Uh, um, and I've shared this many times, but it, it, it just brings in what's happened in my family. We used to have young people into our home when I was in graduate school. We would always open up our home. To, and and uh, uh, Shireen would cook, and we'd invite students over on Wednesday nights, and we'd have a little Bible service, and she'd always cook this meal. So she's been doing this for a long time. And we were students ourselves. And she'd have students in, but our house became a mess. Because students come in and they're messy. And that happens. And God spoke to me one day as I was wrestling through this thing. It bothered me that the house was getting trashed every Wednesday night by fine people. But, you know, you know they were tracking in snow, and... And food was falling all over the plates. And, and I was thinking, maybe, maybe we should just stop doing this. Maybe we should just, you know, not have people to our homes. Or if we have people, just forget about the food part. And God spoke to me from Proverbs 14, verse 4. Proverbs 14, verse 4. And, and God speaks to me a lot from the Proverbs because I read Proverbs almost every day. Proverbs 14, verse 4. It says, where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of the ox. Well, what does that mean? As I'm reading, what happens to me when God speaks to me, I can only share from my own experience, He keeps bringing my eyes back to that passage. And my eyes kept coming back to that passage, where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of the ox. Then He spoke to my heart. You can have your own little house and have it nice and clean, but you'll see no increase in these young people's lives. But much increase comes by the strength of the ox. And then that day, that day, so that was, that was 1982. I said, my home will always be open to the work of God. God spoke so clearly to my heart. I said, we will never close our home to people, to have them in our home, to feed them, for my wife to use this gift that she has in cooking and in serving people in this way. It will always be open to the use and to the service of God. When God speaks to your heart so clearly, you can take hold of it. But it wasn't, oh, God said I should please keep... No, this was a wrestling thing where I was wrestling through this thing that was happening in my life. And God spoke clearly to my heart through this. You know, there's, a, there's a, another portion, you know, a really interesting portion... You know, something else that happened early on in our marriage, that again, God has given me totally, total liberty to this day 
God spoke to me and gave me just this great liberty. Um, Shireen, when she, she used to just use a little bit of makeup, a little bit of eye stick and stuff, and, and I, I got this thing from First Timothy, you know, that I read that, that women need not go with braided hair and all of this stuff, and I and I used to get on her case. You know, you don't need all that makeup. You don't need this. And, you, and she wasn't. It wasn't an extreme thing. I mean, it was just a little eye stick or something. But I started, you know, getting on her case about this, and there was, there was this friction occurring in the home. Now, I know that this would never happen in any of your homes, but it happens in my home. And this friction was happening. Here was this young marriage, and I was really trying to serve God and trying to obey the Word of God. And it says in 1 Timothy 2, 9, let, let women dress modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold and pearls and costly garments. So I'd taken this verse and... And there was all this friction. And I started praying an hour a day on this subject. You say, why would I waste an hour a day? Because when you're, something's not right in the home, you might as well just spend an hour a day because nothing works. Nothing is working. And so there was this... And God spoke to my heart one morning from Proverbs 27, verse 9. Proverbs 27, verse 9. Just the first line of it. As I was praying over this for weeks and weeks, praying an hour a day. I was reading one morning, and it said, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. Boom! It was like God just invaded my home and spoke to me. Leave her alone! Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And I remember her coming out of the bedroom that morning, and I said, Shereen, God, just, I just had this tremendous quiet time, and I'm never going to bother you again about your makeup. Never! She looked at me, you're a moody man. I mean, just every day you get this different view. But to this day, and now I even tell her, use more makeup. Use all you want. It's never bothered me at all. Never bothered me at all. Why could I release this? Because God spoke to my heart so clearly through the Scriptures. It wasn't like, all right, well, God just said to me to just let you wear makeup. No, it wasn't like that. There was this tremendous release because it, it cost me something. I prayed about this and God spoke to me through the scriptures. You know, there was, a, there was another instance that, that happened more recently. Um, uh, I had, I had uh, done something in the department, something really bad. I invited my colleagues to a talk by Hugh Ross to hear about intelligent design. So evil, so evil was this offense. And I get to a, a, a faculty meeting the next morning after I sent out this email, and I'm just attacked. This is the thing where they told me the three axes of evil were explained to me by my colleagues. Three axes of evil are child pornography, Holocaust deniers, and intelligent design. These are the three axes of evil. And I was just attacked at this faculty meeting. One faculty member just said, I, I'm just, just furious about what Jim did. And I didn't even know what anybody was talking about. What, what did I do? I didn't kill anybody. And then I realized it was this email I had sent out the night before. And, and he got up and he walked out after saying, I can't believe that he did Not even letting me address him, but just to scream out his case and to walk out of the room. And, and then the faculty just laid into me. So, you, you know, I had to leave for this trip and then I tried to reach this guy who had walked out. And then that night... So I had flown to California for this meeting, and it just really bothered me what had happened in this faculty meeting. And it really hurt me what, what, what this guy had said and the things that had happened. Um, and then I was reading in Matthew that night, and it says in Matthew 27, verse 19, 
While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Well, what does that have to do with my situation? God just spoke to my heart through this verse that, Don't worry about it. That guy who said that to you is going to suffer greatly tonight. And so I thought, okay. Well, I went to bed. I slept sound as a baby. I was just fine. I woke up and uh, uh, I thought, man, let me just check my email, see what happened last night. And sure enough, there was an email from this guy to the faculty. And he said, in this email, he said, I have been up all night. He said, I had composed a very long email justifying the things that I said about Jim Tour in the faculty meeting. But I've deleted it all. I had no justification. I was totally wrong. I hope he will forgive me. This is the worst thing that I have ever done in my entire career. You know, so God just spoke to me what was going to happen. This is how God speaks to me, to me, primarily through the Word of God. Now, even if I hear things, so, you know, I counsel a lot of young people, I never say, God says you should do thus and thus. I will open the Scripture and say, here's what the Scriptures tell us to do. But if it's an issue where it's not, you know, where should I get a job? Should I be seeing this individual? The first thing, I, is the individual a believer? If the individual is not, I can give you a Scripture that says, no, you shouldn't be seeing this individual. That's a done deal. That's easy. But when the individual is a believer, then I want to hear more. But I never say, God says thus and thus. I don't know what God says. I don't speak for Him. His Word speaks for Him. But I can give you counsel based on experience. This is how God speaks, in the abundance of counselors. Before I came to Rice, I spoke to all sorts of counselors. I spoke to my pastor. I spoke to my former pastor. I spoke to my father. I spoke to my father-in-law. In the abundance of counselors, there is great safety, the Scriptures say. This is the way... God speaks, or a way that God speaks. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. You are so good to us. Father, I pray that you would teach us to hear from you, not to make rash judgments, to think that we've heard and just go spouting out with that, but to be like the prudent ones, that keep things in our heart. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and that we would learn to hear from you. I commit these young people to you and ask your blessing to be upon them. Father, speak to their hearts through your word. In the name of Jesus. Amen.